And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, look, there's leaders everywhere. Everyone wants to be a leader. Most people think they're leaders and probably could do a better job at it. Even the best leaders out there will tell you exactly that. That's exactly what we're going to talk about during today's episode. Now, before we get too far into that, before I introduce who today's guest is, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today, I've got Harry Campbell. <laughs> Harry is the founder and owner of Outlook Partner in the Get Real Mindset series. Now, Harry's a little bit of a local legend here in Kansas City, and he has done some amazing stuff. He's, he's with me in the Three Book Club, which is, uh, which is a whole different series. But Harry spends a lot of his time these days traveling the country, doing keynotes, doing a whole lot of stuff. And he's cleared enough time in his busy schedule to sit down and chat with me. Harry, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks. I'm having trouble getting beyond local legend. I'm feeling really good about myself. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I've, I've got to inflate everyone, you know, before before we let all the hot air out. As most, if you talk to my wife, she'd say that that's the majority of what I expel from my existence on many days. So, yeah, <laughs> Harry, why don't you uh, take a few minutes and give us give the listeners a little bit of your backstory? I mentioned you've done a lot of amazing stuff here in Kansas City, <laughs> but a lot of that expands past that now. And I'd, let's, let's grab a quick overview on that. Sure, glad to. I'm going to make it seem like more of a business um introduction and then i'm going to lead into kind of my sense of purpose for the last uh, eight or ten years and currently today so i got out of business school and went and worked at png for seven years which is an extraordinary experience for me because with teachers as parents um, i needed a framework on uh, how to approach business so png is a great place the best part of that uh, seven years and i worked on some cool brands like crest and uh, pepto-bismol uh, the best part was I spent two and a half years in Northwest Arkansas. I was asked to do a special assignment helping form a customer team between Procter & Gamble and Walmart. So I was still a P&G employee, but I moved to Fayetteville. And I got a chance to be around Sam Walton for a year and a half quite uh, frequently. And just drinking that in and observing him and understanding the success he had as a leader and as a motivator and an inspirer was extraordinary for a person uh, uh, three or four years into his career. I came to Kansas City in 92, so I'm 29 years. Wow. Um, long time. And I came to be with Sprint. I've spent time at big companies, not just P&G, but Sprint and Embark, at medium-sized companies and small companies that were wildly profitable 
and at a failed internet startup that probably taught me more about uh, business and life and leadership than some of my successes. Um, what happened then that changed the course of uh, uh, my, I'll say, life, career also, but life more importantly, is my wife was diagnosed in 2004 with a um, malignant, inoperable brain tumor. Um, fortunately, it was not one of the aggressive, fast growth ones. She's a survivor today, but uh, that set the course uh, for us as a family to try to figure out how we can help find a cure for brain cancer and brain tumors. And um, I've been doing a lot of that uh, over the last decade. I published a book in 2012 on leadership, in 16 on culture, and in 2020 on mindset. And I do keynotes, as you mentioned. Um, at the same time, I'm an investor, and I'm a mentor, and I'm a coach, and I have a lot of things that uh, keep me jacked up and involved in business, but it's the charitable stuff that I love. I give 100% of my gross speaking fees to charity. The charity is Head for the Cure, so the plan words for brain cancer, Head for the Cure. It's a Kansas City-based uh, charity that does extraordinary things to try to uh, uh, defeat this horrible disease. 100% of my gross speaking fees and book proceeds. And Matt, I'm uh, happy to say that uh, we're getting ready to do a little marketing and PR campaign because I just went over $500,000 raised since I started speaking and um, selling books nine years ago. So my sense of purpose today is to help my family, my wife, and other people that are struggling by these diseases. But I love doing it by speaking because the subjects that I am speak on leadership, culture, and mindset matter deeply to me. And I am damn good when it comes to it because I have seen some ugly things that didn't work. I have failed. I have won. And um, I have a perspective that I, I love to share with folks. And that's all, that's, uh, that's amazing, you know, and, and thank you for doing great stuff for the world. I mean, that's, uh, I, I don't, I've had a lot of people on the show that, our speakers and I, you are definitely the first that donates 100% of gross fees, especially to charity. So very commendable. Now, it, and you. You, you've done, you've done a lot of different things and you've worked in a lot of different types of businesses. You know, there's one thing that, that you noted in there was that a failed business may have taught you more about leadership than the other ones. Tell me why. I, uh, as a sports fan, would tell you that when things are going really well, um, it's awful easy to be a leader because you don't necessarily have to uh, provide as much critical feedback. You don't have to deal with the downs as much. And um, the same thing in business. And when I got into the Internet startup world, the dot, I call it the dot-com world of 99 and 2000, I was in downtown Kansas City. I was with a, uh, a really cool startup called Uclick, which is a, a digital spinoff from Andrews McNeil. We were eyeballs revenue oriented, which was too early. Um, we had a bunch of really motivated, great people. But at the end of the day, um, the business model uh, was just couldn't support what we needed to do at the time. Um, I did everything I could to charge forward, motivate and inspire. But at the end of the day, it didn't work. And I had to uh, fold the tent 
basically closed the business down and go find something else to do. And the um, humility that you find from failure, and that was failure with a capital F, failure, um, was extraordinary. I found myself, Matt, at the age of 39, uh, divorced with a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and unemployed. Uh, that's not exactly the scenario I had hoped and planned for, and in fact, um, took me down quite heavily. I obviously had to dust myself off and get back up and get back at it, and the rest of the story ended up uh, playing out very well. But those are extraordinarily uh, interesting times to be uh, introspective about who you are, how you are, and what you want to do, and how you are as a leader. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you bring it up and you talk about, you know, sports or things going well is, is it is, I, I, when you look at leadership in general, it's easy to rally people around a winning cause. You know, when things are going well, it's easy to want to be on a winning team. It's, uh, you know, it's easy to feel like it's okay <laughs> to, for the people that you're leading for to ask some of them to be role players or expect some of them to be when you're winning. Now, when you're not, and that's when things get chippy. That's when, you know, that's when you hear about the locker room brawl or people are upset because really in the end, I think that most people don't inherently like getting their asses kicked. I mean, who, who really does? You know, that's like a different, that's like a different problem or issue. And, you know, I, th I think that that's especially in startups and, you know, we'll shape to this conversation a little bit more around the early stage, because in the earliest of stages, you're you're riding the surfboard on the wave of hope and promise. And there's all the excitement. And I, I like to say that the two the, the two exciting the, the two most exciting parts of a business are often starting it up and selling it. Um, you know, it's the middle part that gets to be challenging. So that's, I think where, you know, the, the leadership in the beginning, like, like I said, you get that vision, you have hope, there's that excitement. So the question is, is like, when we're talking about how to be a better leader, how do how do you think that others can get over that threshold? I mean, well, first off, do you agree? I mean, what's your, what's your opinion on the beginning of a business? Do you think that that hope and that, that <laughs> excitement of the, of the startup, and then it becomes a job, it becomes work, it becomes a grind on some levels. And I think that's the transition where you can you can fall off. Uh, hell yes, I agree, uh, 100%. And um, I, I think the most important thing that I learned in my uh, failures, and they've been many, some of them more catastrophic than others, but the thing that I learned is that everybody fails at something. There's no such thing as a uh, straight shot northeast, all is good. You know, the stock market in the last 80 years has been extraordinarily strong and it's way higher than it was. But if you take a look at it on a week to week and uh, even, maybe even a day to day or a month to month basis, there's a whole lot of gyrations and ups and downs that lead to the northeast march. And um, I, I had had... Um, failures and mistakes and issues before, but none that uh, could point back to me and were as catastrophic uh, in the dot-com world that didn't work. And it's that kind of thing that you can't run from. The, the light's hitting you. 
you don't spin it. There's no politics involved. At the, at the end of the day, you have to say, I am responsible. And with me, that brought me an extraordinary um, sense of failure, but at the same time of uh, optimism to say, okay, what did I learn? How did I learn it? What am I going to do differently? Because I'll say it again, everyone fails. The question is what you fail at and what mistakes you make and how you learn from them and how you rebound from them and how you make that work next. Yeah, I was going to say that bounce back. I think that says a lot about not, I mean, whether you're a leader or not, I think it says a lot about your character until you're, until you're backed in the corner or put under pressure. And I mean, that's, that's the same thing. Like even in the military, you know, like you never know if if a guy's going to be able to get it done while you're, while getting (laughs) shot at. I mean, that's a completely different set of stress and reality. And and now most of us aren't in that reality, and I'm happy to say that. But at the same time, it does feel like an all-out assault on an entrepreneur's wallet on many days because that is kind of ground zero for a lot of the, the crap that goes on. That might be investors or other stuff. And that that really creates a lot of weight. Now, um, you know, we mentioned about writing books. And if you're interested in buying Harry's books, we'll put some links in the show notes. Remember that a big portion of a lot of this revenue is going to, to research and, and just take my word for it. This is good stuff. So you want to check this out now, you know, when it comes to, to, to books, I mentioned, I've written a couple as well. And in my book, balance me, which is a realist guide to a successful life. I talk a lot about personality styles and in, in one section of it because your person, your worst personality traits come out when you're under pressure. And it's when you're tired and when you're stressed. And that's honestly, that's when you're your worst. Um, and you hear a lot of people, they're like, yeah, I really rise up in those stressful situations. Yeah, well, you probably look like a little bit of a prick doing it <laughs> to a lot of people. And that's that's the thing. So, I, you know, I think for me, when I look at look at a lot of stuff and, and I, I'm challenged with this, I was talking to my business partner and often co-host Matt Watson the other day. And we were, we were at uh, lunch, we met for lunch on a Saturday and we we're just eating some chicken wings and talking. And, and I was like, you know, Matt, there's a lot of people that don't like us for a lot of very different reasons. And you, we were talking about some of that as a leader, as leaders and how we lead our own people. And sometimes we ha- like for he and I, we have to be careful to not be the people that come in the room that haven't been in the room for a while that are like, hey, this is all the stuff you're doing wrong. This is the way I would have done it. And this is the way you need to do it. And this is the way you should do it. That's not leadership. That's coming in and tearing stuff apart and doing things the wrong way. You know, I think that that when it comes to, so that, but that can be a product of stress. That can be a product of maybe you're burning through the budget a little too quick or, or maybe, I mean, one of the common ones is you just think you're really busy. And I, I, I know you've had a lot of businesses <laughs> that, that had some phone-centric people in it. And you, know, you always have those signs around those kind of offices. It's like, make sure they see your smile through the phone. Because <laughs> you can tell when people are, when they're stressed or when they're hurried. And like one of your, one of your uh, Dury Vision was one of your businesses, correct? Uh, yes, I was the CEO for five years there, and it was an extraordinarily cool experience. 
and and that's that's medical and like the worst thing like you like you might be busy but you want to be like oh yeah yeah sure yeah get in here at four be here at four Uh uh-huh like that doesn't really make someone like excited about being there at four you know so there's a there's a level of like you know you can't let people know that you're stressed i think that in the startup world that's one of the most challenging things is is finding where and how you want and need to be transparent. And at the same time, maybe not indicating that one of the wings of the airplane is on fire. So, you know, when, when, when it comes to that, like, how do how do you, how do you recommend that people mix and mold and mesh their personality styles in a leadership capacity to get people behind them? Wow. What a loaded question. Um, <laughs> as, you, as you were talking, I was processing through uh, why I operate the way I do with regard to people. And I think that answers the question, maybe in a, um, uh, coming in from the side door. Uh, one of the things that my wife and I have done over the last uh, eight or 10 years is done some investing. We're not a VC or a private equity firm, but we've done quite a bit of investing. And what I do is I bet on people. I think that's one of the things that I learned from the failure that I had in the internet world and the wild success I had with a small business running it in Kansas City, um, MAI. So right before the dot-com, I had the business that was the Mr. K Award winner, which is the business of the year by the Kansas City Chamber of Commerce in 1998. So I took that beautiful success, followed it up with a failure of the in the internet world and came away even more steeled with the fact that if I'm going to invest, I'm investing in people. Of course, you have to have a freaking idea that's a good one that makes sense and holds water. And you can't have a stupid set of financial uh, projections. But at the end of the day, it's the people. And that's because you're probably going to have to pivot somewhere between three and five times. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have horrible days. You're going to have great days. And And a word that I love to use, Matt, that I think you'll appreciate is I like to find people that are a bit unflappable. It doesn't mean they don't don't react positively and negatively, but they don't let stuff overcome them. And unflappable is awesome. And I I look at this and I say, I bet on people. And and the the four investments that my wife and I have right now that we feel very good about, and by the way, you have to weed through some bad ones, I bet on... Ben, Jeff, Keith, Carlos, and Beck. It doesn't matter what business they're in. I'll tell you, I met with them three or four times. I got to know them a little bit. I got to know their backstory and why and how they were doing. Of course, I paid attention to the financials and the business, but it was the people, the uh, get after it portion, the I can handle this portion, the grit and the perseverance. And if you get that, that right person the leadership starts to play out in a way that makes the business more successful than it would have been. I am convinced that a leader can take a mediocre business and make it dramatically better because they get the right people and they have the right temperament to do it. And I think that kind of would would be the way I would encapsulate the question you asked. So, well, let's talk about that temperament because this is something I've learned about myself and, you know, at the risk of, of not sounding humble, I consider myself to be a strong leader. And I think that the over 200 employees worldwide would say the same thing. Um, they got to experience it firsthand during the pandemic. 
Um, and, you know, like I'll give you some examples is, you know, so it was March of 2020 and I was in the Philippines amidst COVID really becoming a worldwide Ooh. issue. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, I woke up, I was supposed to leave on the 15th of March and it was the 13th of March and I was there set to address the entire company. The company that had got so big that we had to do these in two groups now, not one, because we couldn't fit 220 people on an entire floor of a building. So basically, shit's getting real here. <laughs> I woke up, you know, I woke up that morning and that was so to give some context for uh, North American listeners, the NBA, uh, NCAA had just canceled their season or the, the basketball tournament the night before. And, you know, like, think about that. Like you're halfway around the world and you've got 220, 200 people, or actually at that point, just under 200 people that were sitting there looking for you for leadership. And I woke up that morning and I literally felt sick. And I felt sick because I knew that I couldn't stand in front of everyone that had invested so much time, energy and emotion and tell them everything was going to be OK. We're going to do this together. We're going to make the decisions that make the most sense. We weren't going to put anybody in risk. And then I'm going to jump on a jet plane and fly back <clears throat> to America. And I called my wife and I was in tears, Harry. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't, they weren't streaming down my face, but man, I was choked up and I was struggling. And I said, Jill, I can't come home in a day and a half. And she said, why is it that bad there? And I said, I can't do this. I can't go and tell all these people that I'm gonna help guide them through what is probably gonna be looked back at as the rockiest time in the history of this business. And, uh, and, 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 you know, my wife said, I understand. And now, despite the fact that I almost got stuck in the Philippines after that, I did. <laughs> yeah, that's a different story. I, I had to, I recorded a whole series of shows called the Corona Diaries. If you go back and if you're interested, go back and find them in the feed. It's, it was kind of a real time assessment about what was going on, but I was able to stand in front of my company, in front of my people and say, you know what? I'm not leaving. I was leaving, but I'm not. I'm staying here. I'm going to figure this out. And, you know, the, the crazy thing was, is, you know, we decided as groups that we would kind of stay the course and we were going to keep things open until there was a time that it didn't make sense. And everyone left and dispersed. And then four hours later, we had a COVID scare and decided to shut down the office. So it was, but it was, it was a real time thing, you know, and it was like, I was so proud of everyone that worked with, with me because they wanted to stay. They, they were, they were uneasy. They were scared, but I shared that emotion with them. I said, look guys, I am too, but I don't know. I said, the thing we can't do is panic right now and destroy everything that we've built and that we've earned. And I just need you guys to have a little trust that we, I, will make decisions that are in the best interest of everything, not just the business. And that's exactly what we ended up doing. Like I said, later that night, we went from two meetings where we said, Hey, we're going to stay the course to later that night, shut the, like lock the office down. We haven't had a full load of people in that office in a year and a half. Um, and now with that, the thing that's challenging is, is that that would have been I, in that case, I wanted people to see some strength, but I also wanted them to know that it wasn't just them that was feeling the concern and the fear. The anxiety exists. It's real. I'm not different than you are. You don't work for me. You work with me. 
and we're going to figure this out. So, you know, there's some of that level of vulnerability and, and stuff that's great. Now, now on the flip side of things, that was the right, I think that was the right attitude to have there, but I can also be a pushy SOB. I meaning I drive things forward. I, I figure out all things can either be pushed or pulled. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to figure out which one it is. And, you know, that's why I said is there's, I, I think that, that overall, that some of the, some of the, the biggest drivers and the best leaders that I know are pretty adept at figuring that out because different people have different reactions. Some people, some people get pulled really well, like they want to be pulled along and some people just have to be pushed and pushing is, is a, is a much more intense action on many days. Cause there's a lot of different ways to push where pulling is pretty straightforward <laughs> on most of them. So, you, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, let me pile on to this. Um, the, please. The title of this session is how to be a better leader. And um, I love the example you were using about uh, mid-March of 2020 is going to be talked about for, you know, 300 years. So I I get that. Um, And I was thinking about this because I wasn't running a business at that time. I ran one during the financial crisis of 08 and 09. Um, I saw a lot of what was going on, et cetera. But let me... Um, pile on a way that has to do with the traits that I look for, because I'm trying to find somebody that would lead the way you led your group or your company. Um, and I like to say there's there's two groups of three things that I pay attention to with regard to people to see if they're going to lead. And the first one are kind of the, uh, their table stakes, integrity, empathy, and communication. I love finding people that Integrity is never taken off the table. I refuse to work with you if it is. And empathy is one of those things that's very hard. You, you have to find people that have that because you're going to need it at bad times, particularly. And so empathy is important. And communication, I, I grew up at PNG, and they, they teach you to write. They teach you to critically think, but, but to put it down on paper in prose. And so I think those three. The second three are different and they were right in line with what you were saying, Matt. I, I look for people that are consistent. It's such a boring word. I don't care whether you're an extrovert, an introvert. I don't care whether you love this, love that, how you are, but be consistent because then people don't have to guess what's coming next. And your organization, you want them working on the next product, the next distribution channel, uh, the next partnership. You don't want them worrying about whether Matt is having a Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde day today. It, there are too many leaders that make people guess, and you only have 100% of your energy. And if you lose 15% of it trying to figure out which one of those things your boss is today or your leader is, it's bad. So I look for consistency. I wrote vulnerability down. You mentioned it. Vulnerability means if you're wrong, say you're wrong. If, you're, if you need to, say you're sorry. If you're, it doesn't mean you're a you're into a pity party. It means you're taking responsibility and vulnerability is huge. If you really want to know about it, go, go look up Brene Brown on Ted talks and, and, or buy one of her books because it's an extraordinarily powerful way for a leader to stay connected. And then the final one is optimism. I'm looking for people that are can do. It doesn't, by the way, it doesn't mean you can be Pollyannish and uh, you miss the bad stuff and you ignore it or roll away from it. 
it means you're optimistic that given the facts and you the right people together, you can find an answer. And I would much rather deal with Tiggers than Eeyores. Those are extremes in those. But the Eeyore person says, oh, we made a million dollars today, but I'm afraid tomorrow we might be out of business. Okay, dude, just get back in the corner and count the money because we got to figure out how we're going to win. And we may need to be a little more optimistic than what you got going. <laughs> you like that, huh? Tiggers and Eeyores, baby. Yeah, I, I just, well, I do because I, I, I was laughing more at the get back in the corner and count the money because that's, because, <laughs> but, but here's the thing is that that's leadership. It, it, that was more, that was more in, in line with what I see leadership as being because that's what a leader has to do sometimes. It's like, hey, get back in the corner and count the money. We'll be over here figuring out how we're going to win. Cause if you're not going to be a part of that conversation, <laughs> go do something else useful. But, but that's, I mean, but that's a good point. And, and, you know, but at the same time, that same person has flashes of inspiration and things. It's like, you have to, as a leader, you have to accept the different eccentricities that exist. And, and you want people to accept that about you. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm weirdly eccentric myself. I mean, most people, most people recognize me for wearing gold sneakers everywhere I go. And I, you know, the funny thing is I don't wear gold shoes every day. I just wear them to events that I go to. So it got to be kind of a thing. I actually, I own 50 pairs of gold shoes now. Um, and it just kind of became my thing. But, but part of it, people ask, they're like, well, why do you wear gold shoes? And I'll tell people, I'll say, cause if I hang my head as an entrepreneur, I look down and I remind myself of what I need to pick my head up and start chasing again. And really the, the funny thing is, is I wear the gold shoes more for everyone else because they seem to be more entertained by it. And they really do. And, and now I've painted myself in this damn corner with the gold shoe thing, because if I go places and I don't have them on, people are like, what are we chopped liver? You won't even wear your gold shoes for us. I mean, even Watson wears them now. So speaking you know of what? Watson, uh, Matt, Matt, real quick, though, you're going to pivot on the gold shoe thing somehow, some way, and it's going to be really cool. I don't know what it is, but you're going to pivot on that one. And uh, I can smell it coming, man. I'll pivot because I got to tell you what, man, finding gold shoes as a dude is like a hundred times harder than as a woman. There's gold, <laughs> gold, gold shoes for females everywhere. But yeah, and, and it's funny. Get You can get me in on the topic. I literally can talk to you about the different shades of gold, the different types of gold. Like it's, it's, oh man, it's, it's funny. Now I was going to mention Matt Watson because, you know, he started wearing gold shoes after I started met him after I met him because he loved the concept of it. And I, and I bring up Matt because Matt is my business partner at full scale. That is also the sponsor of today's episode of startup hustle. We can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. We take the guesswork out of it. You shouldn't, when you are building your development team, it shouldn't feel like you're pulling a slot machine arm and seeing if you come up as a winner or not, we take the guesswork out of it. You know, Harry, we, we, we interview about 40 people to hire one person. And that's part of what we, we do for people. Now with that, um, we have an organization full of top people. And I, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, but by the way, you'll, you'll be pleased to know I have, so we've, oh, we've recorded about 700 episodes of the show. We're coming up on our 2 millionth download. And I've had a lot of opportunities to ask people whether, what, whether they bet on the jockey or the horse. 
and everybody says the jockey. No one bets on the horse. Everyone bets on the jockey, which is back to the people thing. Now, the problem is, as a leader, sometimes if you do a good job and you have a whole stable of prize-winning ponies, they all want to win every race, too. What do you do when, as a leader when you get what you want and you get all of the best people? There's sometimes egos collide and everyone's got the next best idea. <clears throat> like, how have you managed and dealt with that in the past? Because I know you've been around a lot of high-performing people and high-performing organizations. Um, I have had that problem because I've had uh, a full direct report team of kick-ass people. And um, here's what I do. This is going to be very, very simple. So there's nothing complicated about it is I stay close to the culture and the interactions of the lead team. I make sure that my staff meetings were legendary because I don't like agendas. We're going to have two or three things we need to talk about. We come in and it's freewheeling and it's open communication. And um, as the adult child of an alcoholic, I can read a room pretty well. And I start to understand when there's tension and things going on. Those Monday morning meetings that took two hours were a way for me to keep the finger on the pulse to see when the escalation of egos or competition was getting too high and to try to make sure I paid attention to that and didn't ignore it. Because I, I will say many times I've been told, well, you treated that like it was a forest fire and it was an ember. I said, because in my mind, if I let it go, it would have become a forest fire, and that's distracting. So what I do is um, I turn them loose. That's one of my mottos. If we got great people, turn them freaking loose. Don't put straight jackets on them. But I use that informal communication and interaction of two hours of watching people and how they do in a, in a conference room. This was old school, but I did it so that I did not let that get out of control and the I wanted to be able to harness the power of the great people without letting them uh, mess with each other. Yeah. And that's, you know, you, you, we referenced sports earlier in the show, so we'll kind of carry that theme in a couple of regards. I mean, there's, there's been some, some team, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of struggling to grab some of them because championship teams usually have championship players, but there's a ton of non-championship teams that had a bunch of stars on them and they just didn't work together. They didn't communicate well. They didn't want to pass the ball. I mean, when in basketball, if you have five guys that all have to take the shot, uh, no one, no one passes it. I mean, and that, I mean, that happens a lot. I mean, it really is. And, and I think the things that you'll see is, you know, with the best teams, it's, a, you know, a lot of people reference the Chicago Bulls back in the Michael Jordan era and everyone thinks about Jordan and Pippen. I mean, if it wasn't for B.J. Armstrong and some of the other guys that were on that team, they don't ha they don't have a handful of rings. It takes more than two people to to, to win in a lot of days and trying to balance egos and deal with that. And, and also, like, determine who takes the shot, who's going to make the decision. Um, I think when it comes to leadership, defining roles is a key important is, a, is an important part of stuff. How have you gone about doing that for the people that you're leading in the past? Like what's like, I mean, I like the simple thing, like turn them loose, but where do you create definition and structure as a leader for other, so other people can lead from within? Um, what I've done in the past and I found to be successful is spend an inordinate amount of time 
early on, whether it's in a job or a project, setting expectations, understanding what uh, uh, the roles are of key people, and then making sure there's clear consensus. I love disagreement. And I used to talk about disagreement versus dissent. And disagreement means get in the room and say, I don't think that's right. And here's why and how. Okay, fine. What about you? What about you? Well, you're not an expert at this, but you have an opinion. What's going on? I love that. And get it done early, 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 because you don't want it to be a distraction on the rest of the org. Dissent to me is a very specific word that is like cancer. Dissent means we make a decision, and on the way out of the room, I'm whispering to you. I'm one of the minions, and I'm whispering to you, you know what? I don't like this, but I guess we've got to go do it. And there's a chance that I'm going to mess with it, or I'm not going to give it all. If that happens on my lead team and I find out about it, there's hell to pay. Will you be fired? Probably not. If you do it twice, yes. It's just not right. So I spend upfront time setting expectations and getting it all done. And then the other thing I do, which is a little goofy, but I love it is I copy everybody on everything and I want to be copied. I don't want to be copied. So I micromanage. I want to be copied so I can keep up with key things and interactions while they're happening, but without me uh, micromanaging. And so I know what's up but I'm not the person that's driving it necessarily. And the more information that's shared across the group, whether it's my ideas or the person driving a project, the better, because information is the valuable commodity in a lot of projects. And if you only, if you're an information hoarder, it's going to make it a lot harder for people to know what's going on. And I don't like that at all. I say, share it freely. Then people can pipe up. They can, put their ideas forward and you have, I think a much better working relationship and better results. You know, it's, I, I have the same conversation regularly. I'm like, just copy me. And then people are like, well, I don't want to crowd your inbox. I'm like, if you saw the shit that was already in my <laughs> inbox, you wouldn't feel bad about crowding my inbox. Cause it's a, it's a, it's just a, it's a bunch of crap, but I, you know, I, I tell people a lot of you, that's how you can keep, I, I literally say the same thing every time. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of your business. And I want to paint a picture of this. So if you have, say 10 people or more that could or could should or might be involved in something if you're not sharing that information freely you're forcing people to have redundant conversations over and over and over and then a lot of times for me it's like so i've got all these different uh, you know tentacles that come out of out of me that have to kind of keep touch with all these different departments, everything from marketing to sales. I've got overseas things to ish deal with. And, you know, the hard part about international business is you have two businesses. If you're working in two countries, not just one, like there's the rules here, there's the rules there. While they're often the same, they're still different. And, you know, just being able to simply know that something got done, that something got sent, that something was said. And it's by keeping that finger on the pulse of your business. Now, there's a love hate that I have with it because I get so, I'm so close and I understand my business so intimately that sometimes it whispers in my ear at three in the morning and wakes me up. And it sounds like this. It's like, you're crazy. All your decisions are wrong. 
something's going bad get up and fix it and you wake up and you're like and that's it sounds a bit like the lord of the rings guy that wants his precious ring whatever his name is you know and you're like god leave me alone let me go back to sleep and you're like well i can't go back to sleep now there's a problem that needs to get solved so like i said there's there's that love hate but at the same time that open communication and i've really kind of moved to this like full transparent kind of view of things like and and it's really matt watson that has pushed me fully into that part of the tank because he's like look people just want to know if they're winning or losing so tell them and you and if you have the right people and you're losing they take it personally and want to fix it you know they don't settle for things sucking and I, and, you know, I think that one of the things is when that communi communication comes out and those struggles need to be overcome, it's very Darwinistic in your organization. Like you really, really understand, like you don't even need to ask or push for that because when things aren't going well, the best people will not settle for that and they will evolve into fixing it or doing something or at least just saying, hey, this is wildly wrong. Can we talk about how to fix it? Cause they understand the ripple effect. Like there's a symbiotic relationship that exists within organizations and within teams that I think is really key. And now you mentioned one thing about dissent. Um, you are, you are much more eloquent in your word choice. Uh, Cause I will just say when you have turds in the punch bowl, the rest <laughs> of the punch is never going to taste good. So, I mean, and there's, you know, I mean, and that's it. So what do you do with turds? You flush them now. And now Harry, this is also why when people, before people start working at my company, I sit down and try to scare them out of taking the job. You know, I, I literally, I do, I really have a meeting. I'm like, Hey, if you're easily offended or you don't like the F word, this might not be the right place. Um, not always the best way to lead, but at least they know what they're getting into. But my point is, is like, is, you know, back to like the punch bowl and all of that, I think you got to get rid of these things. Like you mentioned that dissent or, uh, you know, like I said, if there's a turd, you flush it. Um, those are tough decisions to make as a leader though. And, and I think that, it, it, that when I look back at it, at my experience with other leaders, my experience myself is the best leaders do know how to clear that. They know how to, I, I believe in extreme ownership and that it is that there aren't bad teams. There's usually just bad leaders in many cases, but at the same time, sometimes part of that is jettisoning, jettisoning, getting someone out. And you know, you know, you, you know what when, I found, when do you make the, tell me what, what I found? I, I love this subject is that uh, early on in my career, uh, I would carry people that were not good at their jobs because I wanted them to like me and I want, I knew the work needed to be done. So I did it. And then I went through a phase of where I would fire people probably too early if they were solid and I was looking for great. And then I um, evolved to the point where I'm being me. I got very, very uh, transparent and consistent and vulnerable and I let people know when I take a job over the first 90 days, this is how it's going to be. And then they run from you instead of you having to <laughs> get rid of them. People look at it and go, you know what? This guy's a little bit crazy and he's pretty frenetic. And I, I don't think I want to be a part of it. And it makes it so much easier because firing people is no fun. I, I don't care who you are. It ain't fun. 
but if if you establish what the decision making, the leadership, and the culture is going to be, people will opt out, and I kind of love that. Um, the uh, one one of the truisms of of the human race is you people don't want to be considered lazy. They don't want to be considered dumb. They don't want to be considered irrelevant. And so in my book, Get Real Leadership, I talk about this and I've seen it in call centers where I have 200 people in Medford, Oregon. So they're completely separate from the corporate world. And I say, when people are treated like adults, given the tools to do their job right and feel like they're connected to something bigger than their job, just their individual job, 98% of them will be solid to great. And by the way, solid is okay. Because people want that. They don't want to be seen in a bad way and they don't want to be bored. It's a long life to be bored at your job 40 hours a week. And so what I tried to do is bring that to them. And when I did, they would solve problems, Matt. They would see things that were bad and bring them up. They would fix them. And they would provide solutions and recommendations in a way that I never thought they would. And I've seen call centers turned around because of great leadership replacing what was not great leadership. I totally agree with the with the solid is is okay in many cases. I'm curious if you found the same thing. One thing that I, I really have noticed, though, is that when I look back at the truly great, I mean, like the A plus people that I've hired that I've worked with. They were great right away. Have you had, I mean, cause I, I, you yes. know, when I say that like, and that doesn't mean they aren't solid. That doesn't mean they don't become good. There's a huge difference. I'm talking like the A plus people, like they came in and they, it's like snap, boom. And yes. either they already knew what they, but they, it, some of it, in some cases, maybe they already knew what they were doing and that's part of what made them feel great. But even the ones that didn't were like, you noticed it right away. And I've learned that as a, as a leader, that when I see that, and I mean like right away, I mean like, I mean like an instant impact. Now, the people that don't ring that bell, in my experience, usually don't be, ever become that person. I can't find an example where that person, you're like, oh man, yeah, they're painfully average. I don't find myself <laughs> later on down the road going, you know what? It's amazing, John, because we were going to fire you because you kind of sucked at your job for like three months. Like that doesn't happen. Now, in defense of that, on the other side of it, I've had A plus people that have worked for me for a long time that that will still have peaks and valleys because they're people. That's fair. Right. But 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 with that, though, like, I mean, I, I'm just curious, like what your honest experience is with that. Have you had any instance where that person went from like average to truly like A plus or higher? No. Um, and you talked about instant impact. Um, I, I would and I'm talking about once I got to be an executive as I was hired, pretty senior people that are working for me. I have not. And I think that's fine. I've seen improvement. I don't have any problem with that. What I do is I see it in the interview process. I mean, we're talking about early, not even day one. If I see that, um, I go for it. In a book, what I talk about is the people I look for, this is a Harry Campbellism, I look for A-plus players that are nice. Why nice? You know what? I'm going to spend 11 hours a day with you. I don't want you to be an asshole. I can find somebody that will be an A-plus player. I just got to work hard and look for it and not get desperate about hiring. I can find it. A-plus players that are nice. And by the way, you find A-plus players, you see them, 
they operate that way every day. As an entry-level employee, they probably operated that way too. You just didn't know it because they were down in your org. You find them, you, you turn them loose, you do everything you can to keep them because they are the ones that make the magic happen. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, the flip side, I've had people that I was positive were A++++ people in interviews, and you never know until they show up and actually do the job. You know, and, uh, and, you know, I, and it's it, well, it's kind of like that, that, you know, we've been making sports references. It's like that that person that's like maybe they're not the number one overall pick in the draft. They're like the fourth or the fifth. They're still in a spot where you expect them to be legendary and they don't even make it to the big leagues for some reason. Who knows? And, and it's not usually because their arm fell off. It's because something else is, get, you know, in their way, like mental or whatever. But how do you deal with the flip side when you think you have an A-plus player and here comes C-minus? Well, first of all, it pisses me off when I get fooled like that. Um, I haven't in a while. And yes. I, tell you, I, I tell you, the process I go through to I don't get fooled, if possible, is the seven words. I will go to the end of the earth to find out your brand if I'm trying to hire you. I want to find out from people. That, that was more not... than seven words, Harry. That was no, more than seven words. No, the seven words are the seven words are <laughs> your personal brand are the seven words that the world uses to describe you. And I want to find them mm. out from people that know you, but it aren't on your reference list. If you put them on your reference list, HR can call them. I want to find people yep. that have worked with you, know you, have the grassroots word on you. And if I can find that out and go to the ends of the earth to figure out who you really are and what your personal brand is, my probability of hitting uh, – uh, correctly on you being an A plus player is way, way higher, way higher. I don't even make those calls anymore, man. Well, I mean, I would, if I could find them, I haven't called a here, here, here I am giving out hi hiring secrets. Um, I don't, I, I haven't called a reference on someone's CV in 20 years. And, and the reason is, is I just go under the assumption that if you put someone on your reference list, they're going to say good stuff about you. Like, and, and by the way, maybe I should call because if they don't, you definitely shouldn't hire that person. But I don't know. That's not really like I, I think that inherently people just want to say nice stuff about other people, even when they're shitty. That, well, see, that's why I, that's why I try to find people that you didn't put on your list that might right, know you, right. because then I at least it, I might even get neutral stuff, and I'm not I'm not going to get a milk run is what I like to call that other stuff. I mean that doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, my nickname in my friend group is Grinder, and I think you'll appreciate this. I'm not really good at anything, but what I do is I hang tough, I stay there, I show up, I try hard, I treat people well, and it's amazing in life when you do that how you can start to get more and more responsibility and you get more and more confidence in the imposter syndrome, which is true for everybody, including me, diminishes somewhat. I think I like the imposter syndrome a little bit, Matt, because it makes me uh, sleep a little less, work a little harder and make sure that I don't get complacent. But I really look at this and say uh, it, the the nickname of grinder means that I'm not going to, I ain't no Michael Jordan. I'm much more John Paxson, but guess what? The Bulls won one of their championships because Jordan got double teamed. He flipped it out to Paxson who hit the three at the buzzer to win it. That's the kind of people you need on your team that are ready to do what their role is when the time comes and 
championships are made and victories are had. Yeah, we just we just went through that at Full Scale. We added someone, and once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io. Um, but we, you know, we just added someone to our team and I, I said, I need a point guard. I need a facilitator. I need someone that's okay. Not taking maybe even any shots, but passes assists, bringing the ball up the court without dribbling it off their foot. And, you know, but these are the, I, I think that that's, that's where leadership is important is understanding the pieces that you're missing and the pieces that you're good at. And I think maybe we can begin to wrap up with a little bit of like self-examination as a leader. Cause when I was 35 and that was 11 years ago, Oh dude, I did it all. I'm joking. Cause I thought I did it all. I didn't necessarily, I wasn't as, I wasn't as open about, Hey, this is what I'm not good at. I just tried to do it all and I could do it all. And I thought I had it all in too many, in too many different ways. And I didn't look for help. And what that led to was gaping holes in the business, you know, like balls of rubber bands that were just growing and growing and growing because it was a little bit of self-denial on some regards. Now uh, here I am a decade later and uh, you know, and, and I openly shout what I'm terrible at all the time because I want people to respond. I want, I'm trying to draw the people that are like, Hey, I'm really, really good at that. I'm over here. And those are the people I'm looking for. You know, like I mentioned, like recently, like we brought someone in recently a full scale to be a facilitator. Like, like, Hey, look, you're going to accept the fact that you're never going to get to put the ball all the way through the hoop. You need to throw it up by the rim and someone's going to grab that thing and slam it through. And I, and you know, what's awesome is there's a ton of people that are like, oh, that's totally me. That's what I like doing. I feel better about getting an assist than I do about getting a goal. But that's the whole thing. It's like, I, you know, so as a, as a leader and becoming a better one, how do you begin to spot, identify and, and, and confess your own shortcomings in a way that is effective at filling those gaps? Oh, wow. How important is this? Uh, this goes back to vulnerability because, of course, not everybody's good at any, everything. It just doesn't happen. Um, I'm stupidly impatient. And you could say, well, that's a way of talking about a negative as a positive. I am, can I say this again, stupidly impatient. And I'm ready to make a decision. I'm ready to move. And if you're in a startup world, that can be more good than bad. But if you're in a big company like I was and running a large organization, I think my group peaked at 4,000. You can't do that. And um, it was awful because I didn't handle it well. And it was clear to the people on my team who I was and how I was. And I had to figure out how to manage that in a way that was um, uh, uncomfortable for me. And there's a lot of stuff that I'm not good at, but I try to surround myself and whether I need someone who's a strategic planning process oriented person to make sure that we stay on track. Or if you're in a startup, you need someone to just get shit done. I mean, you need somebody and you have to surround yourself with people that are much better at stuff that you're not good at. And I, I am famous for raising my hand and saying, ain't me, ain't me, ain't me. That is not me. I'm not good at it. I'll do it. 
I got no problem doing it if you need me to, but somebody else can do it better than me. And if you're not willing to do that, I think your leadership is diminished dramatically. If you are willing to do it, I think your leadership is uh, much stronger and better because people recognize it. They see it, whether you believe they do or not, they do. Yeah, you know, I was alluding to that earlier in this episode about the stupidly impatient thing, because that's me. I mean, it's like, but, but, you know, it's funny, I, I learned that patience is not always a virtue. Um, it, and in fact, sometimes it's, it's a killer. Um, because being overly, pa- okay, uh, people that aren't super patient, usually sell more, because they just go ahead and ask someone to buy it, which is a key component of selling stuff. (laughs) If you don't ask people to buy it, I guarantee you, you're going to sell a lot less, not just less, like a lot less, but that's a product of that. But at the same time, you have to harness that impatience and rein it in. So you're not a prick while you're asking, Hey, are you going to just, are you going to buy this or what? Okay. No one's going to buy it from you when you're like that. But at the same time, it's that driver. And that's, and I think that that's also what um, I, I, I don't, I, patience and leadership don't always come in the same package in some regards. Like sometimes you need, like you said, and that get shit done. Um, I think when it comes to uh, identifying what you need around you, I, I've, the simplest thing that I've come up with is you need to be, you need to begin to figure out when and where you need a Swiss army knife or a sword. And they're two different things. So like in an early stage business, a Swiss army knife is really valuable because you get people that can perform a lot of different things. A sword is a specialist. Okay. So now that's someone that does one thing that does it really, really well. And that person usually will tell you too. They're like, Hey, I do this. I only do this. And this is, this is me. The Swiss Army knife person's like, hey, I like doing a lot of different things. I'm not an expert at, at really any of them, but I can I can put on the hat and do a lot of them. Now, if you have a little team, you need Swiss Army knives and you evolve into having a sword. Now, a sword, when you're at the front lines of battle, you want the sword. You don't want to have that little stubby knife <laughs> thing that, or the hole punch and you're trying to like fight people. But when you're back at camp later that night after the battle, you don't want to try to open your can of beans with your sword either. So like there's 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 adequacy and inadequacy to either one. So I think as a leader, you look at your organization and you begin to think Swiss Army knife or sword. And 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 they're two, like I said, two different things. Uh, I think in any early stage business, swords are usually not what you need. Because they do that one thing, they're powerful. They chop things in half. They're not. They're not as precise and stuff like that. But you know, like I, to me, that's that's kind of how I've began to look at at the things I need as a leader and the things I'm not good at. I'm not. I mean, I am bad at so many things. I'm gonna cut this. I'm gonna say that again. I'm gonna cut this soundbite out and play it for my employees. I'm gonna give them a record of it or something. I am bad at so many things, but I know what they are in most cases, and I don't try to do them. And, and by the way, being completely disinterested in doing something is the same as being really bad at it. Cause if you're completely disinterested in doing it, you just won't do it, which is in many cases worse than just doing it really poorly, you know? So, so when and where, 
can you make that assessment? All right. So Harry, I end my episodes and I say my episodes because I'm not the only host of the show. Um, uh, tune in on Tuesdays with Andrew Morgan so you can talk all about Amazon and e-commerce. Tune in on Thursdays to hear more from Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her. She does some amazing stuff pretty much everywhere she goes. And for those of you that have been listening recently, we have been doing guest host series. And Harry, you might be a possibility for someone to do that where we bring subject matter experts in. We're giving them the channel for a series of shows. Right now, we're doing one about the cannabis because I think that watching cannabis and how that's forming and whether you agree with it or not, it sure is intriguing and knowing all the crap that these people are going through. Now, we're in Kansas, uh, not super progressive in that regard, which makes it even harder. So that's what uh, Heather Steppe of the KC Hemp Company is. Is uh, Let's put it this way. She fights a lot of battles that uh, she probably shouldn't have to fight. So learn more about that story. And the uh, in October, uh, Melissa Vincent, and I, I'm sure you know Melissa with Pipeline Entrepreneur, she, we're giving, she's taking over the channel for a whole week because she's going to talk all about what they do at Pipeline, as well as talking to their fellows and people that are involved. So anyway, back to this episode, I end mine with what I like to call the founders freestyle. You've been a founder of so many different businesses. So I'd like to hear your your freestyle verse about anything, well, anything we talked about today, or possibly the best advice you could give from a founder to a founder when it comes to today's topic. It makes me so happy that you asked that. I can't even stand it. Um, <laughs> early on in my career, I got extraordinarily lucky, which, by the way, everybody needs to a few times. That happens. And don't think you're great always. Sometimes it's luck. I moved to northwest Arkansas, and I was around Sam Walton, and he kind of uh, took a liking to me. I didn't have kids, and I was ever-present. And I heard him say something that uh, fits with the leadership model he was talking about success and obviously he was the richest man in the world at the time. And he said, Harry, you can have relationships, respect and results. He said, people will tell you, you have to be harsh. You have to do this. You have to do that. At the end of the day, treat people well, and you can have all three. It doesn't have to be a trade-off and to be a great leader. You need to understand that because relationships and positive interactions respect so that people will want to work with you and for you and results, which at the end of the day are what we're driving toward, matter and have the ability to make all the difference in the world. So I would say, um, remember that uh, leadership lesson from uh, Mr. Sam. Yeah, I couldn't, I agree with you. I think one of the things that stood out from today's show that I think is really important, and I'm gonna kind of freestyle on that for a minute is, is setting your leaders in your organization free, you know, like don't put them in a straight jacket. I try, I try to do that. And I think, and I didn't get to give this, uh, to make this comment earlier. So sometimes I use the freestyle to go back and, and pick up where we, we left off. But uh, with that, I think it's, it's a strong idea to sit down with the leaders and sometimes even anyone at the, at your business and say, Hey, look, you're going to win, you're going to lose, and that's fine. Like, I actually expect you to fail, and that's okay. I want you to, I want to make sure you learn from it. I'm never going to question your failure, especially when you're taking responsibility for the things that need to change. 
But the things that I am trying to avoid is hearing excuses for making the same mistake six, seven times in a row when they could have been avoidable. Because now I'm wondering if you care or if you're paying attention. Outside of that, go for it. Figure out what works, figure out what doesn't. So you're basically licensing people to make decisions, letting them know that you reduce and remove that fear of failure and let people do what they do. Now, you know, with that, there has to be some some structure around that and check-ins. But, you know, the thing is, is like you're trying to figure it out on so many days as an entrepreneur. So are the people that work with and for you. And, and you know, sometimes that's going to go well. And then, you know, another thing, too, that, that I like in Congress with that is about 10 years ago, I, in my world, I invented what I call the rule of yes. So the rule of yes is if you think that I'm going to say yes 90% of the time, don't ask, just do it. And, you know, and it's, and the thing is, is because most of the time on that list, and I know you've been there, it's like, hey, uh, we're out of paper. Should I go buy some? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really should. Did you think I was going to say no to that? But the thing is, is, is as you mentioned, having up to 4,000 employees, as a leader, it's easy to die a death by a thousand tiny cuts. And it's little shit like that, that, that ends up consuming your whole day. Like, should I buy paper? Should I do this? Yes, yes, yes. These are all things that like, and the, and the thing is, is with that. So with the rule of yes, if you think I'll say yes, 90% of the time, just do it. I'll deal with the 10% of the time that you're wrong. And, and that is, that is a quiet empowerment and it can remove like, so part of being an effective leader is being able to actually do the things that you need to do as a leader, not deciding or, or uh, saying, yes, you should go buy paper because you're going to go buy it anyway. You knew you were. So the thing is, is as your organization grows and as the people that are looking to you for leadership grows, I think you have to continue to sign pre-sign more of those checks and things like that, that just for the little things, because you really can die a death by a thousand tiny cuts from that. You spend your whole day dealing with stuff that should just be automatic yeses. Uh, that quite honestly changed my life um, uh, as a leader. And I think as an organization, because no one wants to sit there and wait and feel like they need to wait in line to ask those kind of questions. And it really just like sets loose a whole chain reaction of productivity on many days that feels better. So yeah, it, it, I, I don't know if you have ever tried anything like that. But like I said, any other closing, uh, any other closing statements before we call it a day? I, I'm gonna uh, say something that I think if you're starting a business or you have a startup, you, you'll appreciate. Um, I'm going to take you to the show Last Dance. Um, it was an ESPN uh, special on the sixth Chicago Bulls championship. And the reason why I want to point it out is um, on the surface, without looking under, under, underneath the covers, this was the sixth championship. It was a glorification of the, the team, the leadership and everything. The great thing about that show is it gets behind the scenes and you start to understand there was incredible amount of conflict. There was communication issues. There was um, people issues. It really showed that even winning operations have stuff going on that's not fun, not necessarily seen. And the leadership that had to pull that together in order to make that happen was extraordinary. So it, it is a sports show, but it didn't really. 
it's a show about people and it's a show about leadership and it's a show about persevering in order to win. And I loved it because of that. Yeah. And there's so much, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. Um, you know, if you don't want a sports show, I'm going to give a, I, I'll give a recommendation. There is a, um, there's a documentary called Jiro loves sushi. Have you seen it? Mm -mm. It's about a, It's about a Japanese sushi chef. And he, this guy earned a fourth Michelin star in, in a tiny restaurant that holds about 20 people in a Japanese subway. And it's not, it's, it's not as much controversy about than it is about patience and like truly understanding your craft and like not being afraid to take a chance here and there, but also holding your organization to a set of ideals and standards that define excellence. And that's, and that's leadership and check it out. It is, it is amazing to watch this guy and to think about like, so the thing is, is as a leader, you have to be interested in being a leader. You have to refine your abilities as a leader. You're never done. It's kind of like fashion. It's never complete. You have to always, the moment that you know, everything is the moment that you've actually forgotten it all. So, yeah. So with that, I know we gave some sports references, so I wanted to give a, a completely different one. Yeah. Jiro loves sushi and it's on Netflix and a whole bunch of other stuff. You don't have to pay to find it. Amazing show. Harry, I want to have you back and maybe even talk to you about being one of our guest series hosts, because I think you got so many interesting things to say. It's hard to squeeze them in. We, we kind of added an extra half of a show to this one. I figured <laughs> I figured we probably would. That's why when you logged in. I said, we better get started now. So I'll see you down the road, man. I love it. This was extraordinarily cool. Thanks for your inspiration. I love it. Take care. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.